0: Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. As China's trillion-dollar road and belt infrastructure initiative continues working to reshape global trade, a new book works to bring a new understanding of China to the world, especially of Chinese millennials known as the Restless Generation. Zach Dykwald is an American millennial who decided to travel to China and immerse himself in the culture and its people. I recently talked with Dykewald about his book, Young China, about the country and its new generation.
1: There are there's a lot to do about, you know, American millennials. I'm one of them. There's 80 million of us here. There's 400 million millennials in China, five times more, more than the population of the United States and Canada combined. So it's a larger generation. Um, what we often don't think of, though, is that they're open-minded, particularly compared to old China. Old China grew up behind a cultural wall. Their understanding of the West was pretty much limited to slogans. They had no experience. They'd never seen it. This young generation has grown up watching our movies. They've grown up watching our TV shows, uh, reading our news. You know, I have friends who can quote Barney from How I Met Your Mother and Martin Luther, Luther King Jr. They, they have an, a complex understanding of the United States. You know, as you mentioned, they're sort of redefining our, educa- our education system right now, One in three students studying abroad in the United States are from China. One in three. And because they're so big, like we're seeing in education, they redefine every market they touch. So outside of being open-minded, they're competitive and hardworking. The project of childhood is fundamentally different in China. You know, when I was a kid, I I would have sleepovers at my friends. I'd be playing video games. In China... My peer was studying because the competition for a position in a good school, a position in the workplace, and then, you know, on the marriage market as well is so fierce in China that this young generation has to be competitive at a different level. And the last point, a major difference with what we imagine China, and particularly young people in China, they're proud. In their lifetime, they have witnessed the rags to written the rags-to-riches story of modern China. You know, since I was a kid, I was born in 1990. I've watched our per capita GDP increase two and a half times, which is really incredible for a developed country. If you're the same age as me in China, you've watched it increase 25 times. You remember when your country was bitterly poor, and you've watched at sort of breakneck speed, at a scale and speed unmatched in history your country race towards development, race towards a better future. And that, again, that doesn't just mean on an international stage, really large and distant. It means you've watched your family become wealthier. It means you've watched there become more to eat. You're not worried about subsistence questions anymore. You get to sort of decide instead of thinking about what, do I, what am I going to eat? How am I going to provide safety for my family? You're thinking about who do I want to be? It's a different mindset that this young generation is, particularly compared to old China, and even different than the millennials in the United States.
0: There has been a wave of, call it progressiveness, for lack of a better term. There, I'm thinking about Alibaba and some of the other more westernized um, ventures that have that have popped up uh, in China and have been influencing, at least, social culture in, in 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 China. What what was the biggest surprise for you during your journey there?
1: It's The biggest aha moment is watching this young generation turn into a generation of more creative, innovative minds. You sort of touched on it. China is known as being a copycat nation. They're currently transitioning from an imitative to an innovative country. And you, you brought up Alibaba. One of the mistakes a lot of us make when we look at China is confusing the ideas of modernization with westernization. Alibaba is a large, innovative country. With, or excuse me, an innovative company with Chinese characteristics, and so what it means to be an innovator from China is different than what we have in the West. We they have different wants, desires, goals, a a different constellation of considerations. So watching this young generation engage with the outer world, try to create startups similar to what we're having in the United States, succeed and fail, and then respond to that failure, it's a different mindset than what I expected. I expected, you know. A manufacturing power, and what China is currently pushing towards, particularly with this young generation, many of whom are being educated in the United States, is a more innovative-driven culture, an innovative, an innovation-driven economy. It, it was a huge surprise for me, and honestly, a pleasure to see. It made conversations, you know, kind of mind-blowing.
0: Given this dichotomy that, that, that that's there with this the new next generation or upcoming generation of, of China, and given that. Still many of the leaders in China are are of I guess kind of the equivalent of our of our baby boom generation there some of them are still of the cold war era although those are are being replaced is there is there a is there a cultural rift between the government and the young people up and coming people in China
1: Young people view their government as effective flawed absolutely but Effective, because this young generation has more, uh, you know, personal experience with the West than any generation in Chinese history. Literally any generation in Chinese history, they've seen the way that other governments work. They've been abroad. They've watched our TV shows. They understand, to a pretty large extent, how you know the pros and cons of each government system. And so while they resent things like internet censorship. By the way, internet censorship does not mean they can't view any Western material. They actually watch a lot of our TV and they know a lot of our culture. But it does mean that some of the things, that some of the information they want to access, they can't. It's more of a bummer than a breaking point, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> sure, sure. A lot of young people, they actually feel ambivalence towards the government. One of the cheng yu, one of the old Chinese sayings that I use to describe young people's attitude towards the government is Tian gao di Yuan. It means heaven is high and the emperor is far away. You know, there's a sort of, there's my life and then there's the government. It's honestly similar to how a lot of young people see the government here. They treat it like the weather in China. You could dress for it, you could prepare for it, you could even predict it to a certain extent, and you could certainly complain about it, but you're not going to change it. So, you know, it's the ecosystem within which you live.
0: What, what do you think that, that we as Westerners, and specifically here in the United States, what do we need to know and understand about today's China and and what will be the the future of China? Well, there's two parts. The
1: first is impact. You know, whether you like to watch movies or you actually make movies, whether you are, are interested in macroeconomics or, you know, your local manufacturing. Uh, economy just in your in your hometown whether you are selling cell phones solar panels or soda this young generation redefines every market they touch you know it, we talk about the global real estate market but you know these are going to be your neighbors they're buying up real estate all over the united states right now so understanding who they are and not just expecting that they are going to be you know, kind of like Americans, but just sort of over there, or wanting to become Americans. They have a strong sense of self, and they've spent a lot of their time growing up trying to understand the West, in part because that was an aspiration of theirs to become developed in the same way that Western countries were. I hope, and my hope is with this book, that we start to sort of pay attention to who they are, who they want to be, what they strive for, what they dream of. Because I believe that understanding is the foundation for good relationships. And I think we could have a, an amazing relationship with China, honestly, for, particularly on a personal and business
0: level. There's been a lot of talk uh, lately and recently in a lot of different sectors about about where China is and how it's positioning and, and, and at what point, maybe not if, but when they kind of become and take over that that dominant uh, position in in the world. Do you have a sense that that's kind of or did you get a sense while you were there that, that that's what they're kind of shooting for? They're wanting to be a not just a world leader, but the world leader?
1: We have to ask yourself, what does leadership mean to China? Because it's different than what it means for us in the United States. China has no history of colonialism, for instance. They, you know, when they they were the wealthiest most prosperous empire on earth for a good chunk of history but they weren't going out and conquering the same way that some of the european powers were for instance they don't have a history of of moving around in the world the same way that western powers do so we have to you know in understanding who they are we also have to understand how they see leadership a big part of that is considering their own self interests. and there's no better example of that than the belt and road initiative that they've begun in this last year or so or a couple of years um that is—it's a massive infrastructure project all over China and the Asia extended region. The way that, that's going to be what Chinese leadership looks like. It's—it includes around 68 different countries, you know, all over Asia, but also towards Africa. You have Kenya. You have—they're building a railway to London. It's five large infrastructure projects that are meant to deeply impact the economies of all involved countries. Now, why is that so interesting? Because it's not political inherently. It's an economic initiative. But at a time when the United States is sort of shrinking away from the Asia extended region, particularly with the tearing up of the TPP, Mm -hmm. China is saying that we are building our relationships to last. We're building them in concrete and steel. And these countries are becoming dependent on China is a sort of hub and spoke model of dependency. You have China at the core, and then these other countries creating deals with China that, you know, if any one deal falters, if one of the spokes breaks, the wheel keeps turning. But if you take the hub out, the entire thing crumbles. China is creating a series of economic dependencies that will likely lead to political allegiances as well. So it's a different style of leadership than we're used to looking at. And it's built for generations, not just election cycles.
0: Having immersed yourself and put this book together, what do you you see in in terms of the next 10 years with the way that today's generation of Chinese continue to develop and and grow? Where where, where, where do you think they're looking in terms of of what they're doing, doing next?
1: I think you have to look at Two areas, first is innovation, like I mentioned, some of the apps, some of the technology coming out of this young generation it's even beyond what we're creating in Silicon Valley. I actually grew up in the Bay Area, kind of outside in in a sort of a small town, but I have a lot of friends who moved into San Francisco and they're you know they're they're proud obviously of what Silicon Valley is creating. I will say that an app like weChat' it's a it's a super app in China that combines the functionality of mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, but then also Venmo Apple pay, uh, Uber, and then apps that we, we don 't even have here uh, it's China's forward leaning in ways that we can 't even really imagine and they're also great early adopters so that 's one area look towards innovation. The other side is consumption. You know, this for a generation that grew up under pressure. The older generation is known as the 吃苦的一代. Uh, they were the eat binner generation. Uh, times were tough when they were young. Mm-hmm. This young generation, sort of reacting to their difficult childhood, wants to enjoy themselves now. There's an there's an old saying, jin jiao jo, It means Today I have booze, so today I drink. It's sort of an ancient way of saying YOLO, you only live once, so you want to live in the moment. And it, um, this young generation has the mentality that as much as we've worked hard, we want to enjoy ourselves now. So you're watching them redefine the global travel industry. China's the largest international travel market, outbound travel market in the world already – Two-thirds of passport holders in China are under the age of 35. They want to see the world. They want to enjoy themselves. They value experiences in similar ways that we have with millennials in the United States. But this young generation is more driven. They're more intense, in part because of a reaction to a more constrained childhood. So the want to enjoy themselves, to, huo zai dang sha, to, live, to live in the moment, uh, that's definitely driving this young generation.
0: That's author Zach Dykwald. His book is Young China. It's out in paperback from St. Martin's Press. He is also the founder of the Young China Global Group, a think tank focused on helping companies and governments understand global millennials. With this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.